September um, is a, in the church industry is an important moment. It's when you, uh, it's like a leadoff hitter. It's where you start your rotation. Because uh, people are back from the summer. Uh, the school year helps many of us to kind of return to a rhythm. You know, that's when we sharpen our pencils and buy our books and these sorts of things. And so typically, uh, September's the place where you put the, uh, the sermon series with glitter and lights. You want to get them. You get biblical eldership. That's what you get. Uh, I know. I know the label may not excite you. I will say October is the end of the world according to Jesus, and uh, November's money. So if I'm still around, then uh, you have an exciting fall. But uh, biblical eldership. Why would we put biblical eldership? Uh, right here, you know, as the leadoff hitter, so to speak, in the life of the church. And, and there's a very practical reason, which is this. Uh, in October, we're going to ask you, the church, we're going to come with, to you with, a, with a, an ask. And I've, I've said this before, before the church, but we're going to say, may we ordain lay men in the church as elders to share in the work of shepherding for the benefit of the church. That's what we're going to say. Can we ordain additional Elders to assist in the work of shepherding. Now, what is it? Some of you say, What is an elder? I'm an elder. A pastor is an elder. So we're saying, Can we ordain lay pastors in the church to assist in the work? And the reason we're asking that is because in our church, our church is what you would call elder led but congregationally governed. That's, that's the label. It's elder led, it's deacon served, and it's congregationally governed, which means the church looks to its elder or elders to uh, follow the Lord, for the voice to be exhorted in the word and, and to kind of stay in the straight and narrow and head where God wants us to be. But, but the elders in the church look to the church for the authority to do that. And so we'll be asking you, may we please ordain laymen in the church to serve as elders uh, to assist in shepherding. And my sense is, you, you'll probably say sure, um, in fact, some of you are like, can we just skip to the end of the world by Jesus? Uh, but uh, there's, there's more than simply can we, and this is, this is the rub. I'm not simply saying, may we ordain elders in the church? Um, the real question is, will you receive them in the life of the church? That's a different thing. Allowing and receiving is a different idea. In other words, if we ordain lay elders, men who are serving as elders in the church so that it's not, at this campus, it's not just me, it's, it's several of us. And at the Loma campus, they're working through precisely the same thing. We have precisely the same heart on this issue. It wouldn't just be Pastor Jeff, but as they grew, so would the eldership. The question is, not only can we do it, but w- would you accept their love and their guidance and their counsel, and their visitation, and their teaching. Would you accept that? That's the ask. So why, why are we doing this now? I am convinced, we are convinced, that the quality of discipleship in this church is directly related to the distance that the pastor is from the people. And so that as we grow, 
uh, we've been seeking the Lord and studying the Word on how do we ensure and, and, and strive to maintain a, a strong quality of discipleship. And that thought is, is as we grow, so also must the eldership. I'm also convicted that this is important for us to continue to, to grow well. If we, if we are going to grow, and we believe God wants the kingdom to grow, and God wants, there's three of our four neighbors don't know Jesus, that if we want to invite them in into a meaningful environment and we want to grow well, the eldership of the church have to, has to grow too. That, that's the best way to do it. So, so you, for several weeks, we're going to talk about eldership. And you may find yourself saying, well, I'm not an elder. I'm not on deck to be an elder. I don't, I don't really care about this. I'm, you know, I can't make you care about it. But I can say this, that the issues that, that, that are going to be spoken about that are particular to eldership are genuinely, tr- genuinely true about in your life right now. What I'm saying is, is in your home, if you're a parent in your home, you are shepherding. You're doing the work of an elder in its a general sort of way. If you're a boss, you are in many ways placed by the Lord in a place to lead and provide oversight just like an, an elder would. And, and so these things are generally true. If you have friends, if you have friends where you find yourself being maybe the lead Christian in the crowd, you are these principles are, are here and they're in front of us and they're for you. So it's, it's I believe this, these teachings are rich and meaningful to all of us uh, because even if you were converted yesterday and you are a brand new Christian, you will not always be a brand new Christian and before you know it, there will be someone around you who may need some prodding in the right direction and you can shepherd them. So that's what we're going to do for several weeks. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I pray you bless our time in the word and our thinking as a church. Lord, I pray we would think as one and act as one and want what, what, what you have, Lord. And uh, Father, give us a heart to submit to the word and to see what's true uh, in it for our own life. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, uh, the big idea, what is an elder? The scriptures use uh, one primary example. There's several, several small ones, but the lead image for biblical eldership, the lead image given is a shepherd. That's the lead image. So if you, if you need a picture, some analogous picture, that should conjure up when you think of an elder, it should be the picture of a shepherd. That's what, that's what the Bible offers us, is think of it as a shepherd. And if you're a note taker, or if you like to know that there's structure to a message, I would say there's, there's probably four big ideas this morning. And the first one is, is, is this big idea, that the guiding image of an elder is that of a shepherd. And very simply, shepherds watch over the flock that is given to them. Right? It's God's flock that's been... Uh, asked to steward by a shepherd, and shepherds oversee the flock. In fact, overseer is another word for elder. Elder, overseer, shepherd, those are all all useful and used to describe the same position. And in the Old Testament, or throughout Scripture, 
The idea of a shepherd is a culturally familiar idea to them. It was a very, it, someone could talk that way, and, and for them, they, were immediate, they immediately knew uh, what was being said, and even some deep ways that maybe you and I, because we don't shepherd, uh, maybe we can't fully understand, but it was a very culturally familiar idea to them, and it was um, an issue among the Hebrew people of cultural affection. It's not that they didn't look down on shepherding. Even though it was dirty and filthy work, they didn't look down on it as dirty and filthy work. There's a fondness in the Jewish heart for shepherding. And you find this, you find this all, all over the scriptures. As far back as you can look almost, the Bible is pointing out shepherds in a positive way. In Genesis 4, this is about as early as you can go. In Genesis 4, Adam had two sons, Cain and Abel. Right? Cain ultimately kills his brother Abel. But this is what it says about Abel. Abel was a keeper of sheep. Now the word wants you to think well of Abel. It, and it... The word assigns right next to that, not just to say Abel's offering was satisfactory, but, but, but also Abel was a keeper of sheep. You get a little farther in the word and you find out that Abraham was a shepherd. Isaac was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. Jacob's sons were shepherds. And by the end of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 48, by the very end of Genesis, as Jacob is about to die and he's blessing his sons and he's giving a blessing to his sons and grandsons, his parting words, he says this. He says in his blessing, God who has been my shepherd all of these years. So early on in the Jewish people, before the law, before any of that was there, they were already, just imagine what must be must be understood among the Hebrew people about what a shepherd is for them to be shepherds and then to refer to the Lord in a very fond and respectful way as their shepherd. I mean, to do that means that there's, there's some esteem and affection, some respectability in that occupation, some, something that matters, that maybe it's even more than an occupation to refer to the Lord that way. Moses became a shepherd. It's interesting, Moses, who ultimately ends up leading the people out of Egypt, he was raised in a privileged household. You might think that it was there that he gained all the faculties and abilities to lead the people, but that's not what the Lord does. He's raised there, and then he's brought away, and for 40 years is made to shepherd before he's allowed to actually shepherd the people of God. It's as though being raised among the elite in Egypt was, was not what actually qualifies him. He need, the Lord needs to take him away to the desert and make him shepherd, and then he can lead. Interestingly enough, in Numbers 27, at the very end of Moses' life, the Lord says to Moses, Moses, I want you to go to the top of the mountain because I'm going to take you home to be with your forefathers. He's saying, Moses, you're going to die. Come with me. And Moses turns to the Lord and says, Oh, you, who's going to go before them? They're like sheep without a shepherd. You see, Moses, 
Moses doesn't turn to the Lord and say, but you didn't let me go into the promised land. Moses doesn't, doesn't turn and, and ask for a few more years or anything like that. Moses' concern is for the people of God who, without, without a godly leader, would be like sheep without a shepherd, to which the Lord says, relax, Moses, I've raised up Joshua, son of Nun, and he'll be, he'll be, he will shepherd them well into the land. But at the end of Moses' life, he realized he's a shepherd. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, the kings, the first kings were shepherds. Saul was a shepherd. He was a bad shepherd. He was an impressive man and a bad shepherd. What does that say? David was an unimpressive boy, but a good shepherd. When David went to uh, see King Saul to say, I'll fight Goliath. And they said, <laughs> pipsqueak, you can't do it. What is David's answer? David's answer was not, not I'm, I know Taekwondo or watch me throw this rock. It was not that. He says this, when I shepherd and a lion or a bear or some animal comes and takes my sheep, I leave the flock, I run that thing down, I kill it, and I snatch back the sheep from its jaws. That's what he says in 1 Samuel 17. He says, I go to where the lion or the bear is, and I have killed the lion and the bear, and I have rescued the sheep from its jaws. And it's, and it's not as though he's saying, by the way, that he has, he's some masterful fighter because he says, and God has enabled me to do that, that the power of God's come to me when I've done that. Do you see this young man knows when I have done the, I am a shepherd and I protect the flock. That's what Saul's not doing right now. And when I do that, God does it with me. Uh, this is what I want you to watch. I want, um, this great shepherd, David, who is such a good shepherd, right? This is what he, he knows. He knows what it means to shepherd, and in doing that, he rightly sees God as his shepherd. Turn, turn to Psalm 23, if you would, which is page 392. It's on the screen, but my eyes aren't good anymore, so maybe you need to, to, to read it in the book. This is David writing. This is King David writing. This is what he says. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is, uh, you know, if the first big idea about a shepherd is they oversee the flock, the second big idea is that a shepherd is keenly aware, a good godly shepherd is keenly aware that he is a sheep of the great shepherd. He's not really a shepherd. He's a sheep. He's playing a role. The pastor is playing a role. 
He's a sheep of the shepherd. Notice here how the shepherd acts in Psalm 23. The shepherd is responsible for provision. Right? He leads me beside the still waters. He brings me to pastures. The shepherd is responsible to lead in righteousness. He leads me in paths of righteousness, it says. And the shepherd is responsible for protection, right? Even though I should go through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me, right? The shepherd is supposed to remain with them. Your rod and your staff. The shepherd, with his rod and his staff, fins away and prods on the sheep who would otherwise turn around and leave. He prods them through the valley and protects them through the valley. That's what the shepherd does. Now, you may say to yourself, uh, how can an earthly, role-playing, sheepy, human shepherd actually provide and feed? Like, I'm not, I don't feed you. And I don't. An earthly shepherd, a biblical elder, feeds, feeds the flock by reminding them who feeds the flock. That is, that's why it is so important for an elder to remember that he's a sheep. Because I can't feed the flock, but he feeds the flock. So the, the, when the church comes, the, a, a godly biblical elder is a constant reminder that it's God who gives us rest. That I lead you, I should, one should, a biblical elder should lead you in the path of his righteousness for his name's sake, not for my name's sake. That the purpose would be that in times of trouble that the earthly role-playing shepherd should be beside you to say that God is beside you. Should remind you that his rod and his staff, which is so much more powerful and perfect than any human rod or staff, is what provides and protects and comforts. We should boast of the Lord's provision of the Lord's kindness, of the Lord's righteousness, of his namesake, of his table, of his glory, and of his eternal power. That's how an earthly shepherd feeds. And this is, this is, a, this is good. If, if, you, if, if you were a pastor, you'd write this down. Because it is so easy to forget it is, it is so forgettable that we're sheep. In a good way and in a bad way. In a good way, and I'm saying this because if the church allows us to have elders, some of you will be. So hear this. It is easy to forget that you're sheep. And in a good way, what that means is when the church comes to you with need, it is easy to forget that it's God who provides, not you. And so your tendency will be to give and give and give and give and give from yourself as though you were actually the shepherd, but you're not. You're role-playing the shepherd. And if you actually do that, you will give yourself into dissipation and oblivion. You will destroy yourself. And a church that expects the human elder, the human shepherd to be the shepherd will destroy their pastor. That, that being forgettable in that way is a path to oblivion. This is why so many pastors don't stay around very long. But there's another way of forgetting that's less pitiable. It's actually more detestable. It is the creeping tendency to want to elevate one's self above being a sheep and to use one's office for gain or for identity or for efficacy or for a sense of power. And in this way, 
Those are shepherds who devour the sheep. The first way is how the shepherd is devoured. The second way is how a shepherd devours the sheep. Look, look at Ezekiel 34. I'm not just making this up. This is... It shows up in subtle ways. It, it is, uh, I mean, just very anecdotally, you know, there's nothing cool about being a pastor. For crying out loud, I used to fly cool jets. So there's this constant temptation, periodic temptation, occasional temptation to claim something that isn't mine. And it's, it's true. If a shepherd remembers he's just a sheep, and that God is the shepherd. He'll be protected from that. Look at Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me. This is Ezekiel. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, even to the shepherds, that God's going to deem to talk, even to the shepherds. Thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of, of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. You should, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. You see whose flock it belongs to? My sheep were scattered, says the Lord. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. He goes on in verse 10 to say, I want to grab them out of your teeth, take them out of your mouth. So I had a shepherd once. His name was Mal. He's a good shepherd. And he had this saying, he said, the, he, this was a saying when I was a young pastor, younger pastor, he said, the poor will always be among you. The poor will always be among you. It, it tempers somebody who's young and trying to fix everything. Just, just relax. The poor will always be among you. You don't need to fix it. So there was that side which comforted me, but there was a second side which was his affectionate rea- his affection to the fact that the poor were among him. It, you know this. If you've been in a life group or a small group or any kind of group, this is what takes a Christian godly group and turns it into a clique, is the subtle desire, the subtle passive desire to hope that the weak and the frail in, you, in your group would just wander away. Then wouldn't it be fun? You know, there's... There's, we have to battle. The human side in us has to battle this subtle desire to simply not care for the weak or the frail or the hurting or the annoying or the sinful or the hard-hearted or the obtuse, not to care for them because maybe they'll go to somewhere else. That's not what the Lord says here. The Lord says, you should not have let them wander. 
When a church grows so large that the unimportant sheep are out of range of the shepherd, that is wrong. And that's what happens. Churches grow, and pretty soon, there is an ungodly distance. What does it say about the Lord, if he's truly the shepherd, when we allow things to grow in such a way that to the least of these, the Savior is farthest off? Is that consistent with his character? It gets so bad in, in this time of, of, of Ezekiel. This is the, the end of Israel before they're sent into exile. It gets so bad that the Lord it radically addresses the issue. In the 22nd verse of that chapter, he says, I'm going to do something. I have to start over. This is what he says in verse 22. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I mean, that's, it's Jesus, right? David's been dead for 300 years. It's Jesus. And Jesus is our shepherd. Look in John, John 10, if you would. It's page 767. I just I want to jump ahead. I, I, Christ ends up calling himself the shepherd. And the things he says, right? If the Lord is going to refer to earthly shepherds, this is what I'm trying to, to do for you. If the Lord is going to refer to earthly shepherds and call them shepherds and then refer to himself as a shepherd and call the sheep his flock and remind the, the earthly role-playing shepherds that they really are sheep, when he calls Jesus a shepherd, we ought to listen up. We ought to say, what does that mean? Look at John 10, 11 through 16. Jesus, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. I say, you know, if I say the big idea is, if I say if a shepherd is an overseer and if a shepherd is a sheep, I tell you, this third idea is that a good shepherd, like the shepherd, serves out of a divine calling, out of a sense of vocation. It's not a job. It's a calling. And out of that flows, should flow, affection. An affection for the calling. There should be, for anyone to be living in a calling, there should be a sense of divine affection about, about God having placed you there. It, it, it can't just be a job. When you serve as a calling, it leads you to, it causes you to lead in ways that run contrary to the calculations of the world around you. Maybe even run contrary to the calculations of the flock over which you've been asked to lead. It causes you to do things 
that it enables you to do things that are hard and right and unpopular because it's not a job. It's a calling. If, if you are here and you're wondering, am I, am I a shepherd in your thinking, but I, I, I'm not Jesus, I'm going to say, listen, you don't need to be perfect. You need to play a role. We're role-playing. But you do have to be called. And so you see these things. You see that a shepherd is an overseer, that a shepherd is a sheep, which should affect the, who he looks to for guidance, that a shepherd is, serves out of calling. And I want to show you this, this last passage. Finally, we can get to the teaching in First Peter. First Peter, initially we were going to start here, and then I thought, how do we, how do we just jump into this? Go to First Peter 5, which is page 874. And this is at last where the teaching of shepherding falls. So here, Peter is actually talking to elders about how they ought to be. But listen to what he says. He says this, So I exhort the elders among you. Notice this plural, by the way. That means in this church, there's more than one elder. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Listen to the teaching. Okay, It's like everything we've read just delicately brought together. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You see what he says? Exercise oversight. That's what shepherds do. Serve willingly and eagerly because it's not a job. It's a calling. And set an example. He's saying, listen, you are standing in a role that reflects the great shepherd. But he says one last thing that I want to draw your attention to. The very last point he says this, and when the great shepherd appears, you will receive your unfailing crown of glory. In other words... The reason Peter's giving this teaching, he's saying willingly, not under compulsion, eagerly, not for selfish gain, is there's this tendency and a temptation for shepherds to try to reap the reward in this life through shepherding. It's not when it comes. He says, when the great shepherd appears, you'll reap your reward. Right now, serving obediently in the calling of God, it should be, it, it should be the hopeful reward in and of itself. In other words, do not look to the flock for the satisfaction that you think you deserve. Now, I'm not saying that because the flock is rude or unkind. The flock might happily give a pastor the satisfaction he thinks he deserves. It doesn't make it healthy. That's very tempting. It's very seductive. But a shepherd that looks to the sheep for approval can very quickly find that he's being herded by the sheep. That the sheep are bringing him from pasture to pasture. Because he ends up needing their approval. The Lord says, no, no. He says, serve well. Serve willingly. Serve eagerly. And then one day when I appear, I'll bring you into your satisfaction. 
this is the call for a shepherd. Now, this, this is particularly true about elders in the church. It is generally true in so many ways. I'll just give you one. If you're a parent, do you actually think that's your child? Or is it really the Lord's? Is it possible that you're playing a role? Who is the father, really? Who loves that child, really? Who gave it to you? Shepherd the flock of God that is in your care. Willingly, not under compulsion. Eagerly, not for selfish gain. In so many places in our life, these truths can surface. As a boss, you think you earned that job? Is God not the giver of all good things? Do you eat your subordinates? Do you devour your coworkers so that you can advance? I mean, how ungodly is that? When you have been given an opportunity to play a role. The truth, this truth, while specific about elders, is so, is so generally true in our lives. Where are you? Who around you is in need of a shepherd, is wandering, is wandering? And if you looked around, there would be no other shepherd but you. I'm going to close with some prayer and... um, Terry, I guess I'll just close this. Um, but take time. If just bow your heads. I want you to think across the landscape of your life. I want you to look in the various places of your own life right now. And I want you to be as honest as you can be with the Lord. On, has the Lord called you to some assignment with somebody? I mean, unless... Unless you are either the youngest Christian in the world or in dire need yourself. My sense is you play some role in helping someone see the Lord. That you may find yourself at some time saying, I can't provide for you, but I do know a God who says, I shall not be in want. To say, look, my righteousness, what I, the way I live and believe, it doesn't come from me. It's a path of righteousness that leads to his namesake. That this, you would be maybe around someone to say to them in a time of hardship, I know it feels like you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but I know someone who protects and prods us along. Lord, I pray that you would make this true in my life as I'm keenly aware of my role. Lord, I, would make, I pray you would make this true in the lives of, of others who the church might call upon to serve in the role of elder, Lord. But I pray that this would just be true about us as a people. And I pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.